0: Before we get into our message this morning, I think we should pray. And I want to invite you to pray with me by standing up, grabbing a hand on either side of you. If you want to stretch out across the aisles, you feel free to do so. And pray with me. Don't just pray after me. Pray that allow the spirit to, to move you to pray also. God, you are incredible. Overwhelmingly so and so beautiful. Your love is overwhelming, and I thank you that you love me, and you love every person in this room. We pray for the person on our right, God, that you would reveal your overwhelming love to that person this morning, that you would draw them into your life and renew their souls and renew their spirits from the inside out, that you would break off performance, that you would break off The the need to, to please others or even the need to please you, but you would reveal how you love them right where they are right now. Lord, we pray for the person on our left that you would break down any resistance to what you have to say this morning. Not necessarily my words, but what you are saying to them and how you want to transform them and take them to a new level, a new place in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would tear down any resistance to that even if it's unknown resistance. God, that you might be glorified in the individual's pers- life and in this place. Lord, I pray for this church in this unique, wild, and wonderful time that you would be glorified in the midst of this. That we would claim no glory of our own. That this is not about men, it's about you. It's about Jesus and how you died on the cross for our sins and how you rose from the dead. And we glorify you, God, because you are the King of glory. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You may be seated. I entitled uh, this sermon this morning: uh, "The Spirit, the Kingdom, and Politics." The Spirit, the Kingdom, and Politics. I—I've been here about a year. In fact, my one-year anniversary is August fifteenth. We packed up. Thank you. Uh, We packed up uh, our house on a Thursday, pulled out on a Friday, and started work on Monday. I mean, it was just this wild time for us as we moved up here. And it was exciting to see what God was doing in our lives. And and since I've been here, I have spent about most of this year trying to listen. It's tempting to come into a place as a leader in a church or a leader in a situation like this and think well I've got the answers well every time I've done that I've messed up but I found whenever I'm in sync with what is going on around here I have taken the time to listen because there's a basic principle of life that I, I I believe in is I want to seek first to understand what God is doing seek to listen to what god is doing instead of trying to put my stamp of approval on what god is doing or put my stamp of disapproval of what on what god is doing because often i were tempted to do that because we don't want to wait we don't want to sit back and listen my listening to this church began about three years ago as i came up to uh, consult as a consultant and worked with the small group systems at that time I guess uh, uh, I made a good impression because they brought me back later and then they hired me. So that was, that was uh, fun. And then, uh, uh, that, so that all started about three years ago and I started reading Greg's books and, and listening to what he was saying. About two years ago, Lynn Foote, who's on my team now in the community area, uh, came to one of our conferences that we put on in Houston. She came in August of all times to Houston, Texas. That's not a good time to visit Houston. It was a little hot. But she came and uh, we put on this conference and, and she told us about the Cross and the Sword series and how the, the struggles that the church had gone through and some, about how a lot of the giving had gone down and some people had left, but also about the huge impact that the, church, that the message had had upon the church and the positive response that uh, people had toward it. Then one year ago during the interview process, I was riding around in Greg's car, we were uh, my wife was riding with Shelley Boyd, and I was riding around with Greg, and and he he was uh, we were just chatting. He said, "You need to know about the Cross and the Sword series because it was a little bit controversial." And I, I, my response was, "Well, Greg, I've read all your books. Everything is controversial with you." <laughs> Not everything, but you know, uh, Greg doesn't shy from controversy. And you know, so I, I've really tried to listen and read his book and. Reread his book and, and listen to what people are saying around here, what God is doing in this place, because I want to understand what God is doing rather than trying to figure it out or put it into my categories. Many here today are in the same situation. I think some of you are here today trying to understand what is this, what does this mean? What are the implications of it? Some of you might feel like this chaplain who emailed us this week and said this, I just finished reading the New York Times article about your church and pastor. As a chaplain, I found it to be an inspiring account of what needs to be happening more in our country. Greg Boyd is so correct in confronting the idolatry of patriotism and nationalism. He goes on to say a lot more. I can't quote it all here. And then he concludes, If only more clergy and churchgoers would be so courageous. He's recognizing that this is a fresh word. It's a prophetic word. It is different. And this is representative of a vast majority of the emails that have been sent to us. Here today, you may be sitting here and say, you may be saying, you know, I, I heard the cross and the sword series two years ago. I've read Greg's book. Well, I, I agree with it. And what's the big deal? Let's get on to something else. But most people in this room aren't there. Most people are having, you know, questions about what does this mean or Or maybe you don't read books and that's not the way you learn, but you have important and good questions. Some of you may not have even heard of it this morning. You you don't read the New York Times or these other papers and you're thinking, what's going on? Some of you are here because you expected to hear Greg this morning. Well, either I would have to get a lot shorter or he'd have to get better looking. Hopefully he won't listen to this. (laughs) One or two of you may even feel like this person who emailed us this week. Mr. Boyd, do you realize that evil prevails when good men do nothing, no matter what you call yourself, Christian, Muslim, Jew? Only we can prevent evil, and when you sit back and do nothing, you allow evil to grow. I'm glad I live in America. I'm glad my forefathers fought to keep America free. I'm grateful for the military, the police, the EMTs. If you don't like this country or what it stands for, please leave. I'll even buy your ticket. This is an example of someone who did not wait to understand the message because almost every sentence misses the point of Greg's message. And it's easy to do that whenever something new is introduced into the conversation. Because when something new is introduced that doesn't fit our categories, we interpret it according to our categories. And we interpret, if you were to introduce a new idea to me, I would try to put my own spin to it so that I could understand it. And in the history of new ideas or new, uh, new information, this has always been the case. And this is often what happens with this message. We try to fit this into our categories. And in this room, there are lots of different opinions about politics. Some of you, I know I've talked to many different people who are conservatives. Some of you are, are uh, Democrat, Democrats and you may lean more liberal. Some of you who are, are more Republican and you... you Or or more along the conservative line, you may be thinking, does this mean that we're a liberal church? Because we come out against the religious, you know, there's some statements in Greg's book about the religious right. Some of you in this room are war vets. And you're thinking, what does this mean about war and what, what I did? And all those kinds of questions that are very important questions. Others are pacifists. We're all trying to understand the implications of this. And all of that, not all of that has been worked out. These things can be somewhat emotional. And so for some people, very emotional. I I met a couple last night at the service at 5 o'clock. And he, and the two of them are as opposed, uh, opposite. Ends of the spectrum, of politically and personally. One's pro choice, one's pro life, and they got their reasons why. Well, one believes one thing about theology and the other one believes the other thing. I'm like, man, you have some interesting conversations in your house. But they've learned to live in unity even though they have differences. It's easy to make all of this about something that it's not. It's easy to make this about politics or to even make this about Greg Boyd. Or to make it about Woodland Hills Church. Or we could always focus on the media or how they got it right or how they got it wrong. And then we can get involved with the critics and what they say about what has been said about us and our church and about the book and other things. It's really not about any of that stuff. We have to take this back to Jesus. We have to root this into Jesus and what he said and did. Because if we don't do that, we will misinterpret it. We will misunderstand what Jesus is saying and doing in our midst. And it's very easy to do that with all the emotion that can come with this, with all the opinions that are in this room. It's very easy to misunderstand and get off on the wrong topic and go down wrong paths. And in order to demonstrate this, in order to demonstrate that this is about Jesus, we thought that it would be good just to go back to Luke and see where we are in that passage in, in that book. You know, we've been there for quite a while now. And uh, I thought, well, is God saying anything to this church through Luke and where we are? And I think he is, and he speaks to our situation. And it's interesting how the Spirit leads us and ordains and brings us into alignment with what he's already saying to us. If we look at Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, I think we'll recognize what God is saying. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not, not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barns, But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. People were coming to John. He was baptizing people in the the river Jordan. He was proclaiming this prophetic message, challenging the status quo, calling people back to God. And they came to him and said, are you the one? Because they were waiting expectantly. What were they waiting for? The kingdom of God. You see, the people in that time were living under Roman captivity. They were living under the oppression of Roman rule and they had a a puppet king, King Herod, who was a Jew, but not really a good king. And he really didn't have any authority. He just answered to the Romans. And their their temple was second rate. Their worship wasn't great. The presence of God was uh, was not restored back to the people of Israel. They felt like they were still under oppression and they wanted, they needed a Messiah. In order for the kingdom of God to be restored, or to be introduced in that time, they were looking for a Messiah, one who would set the standard, one who would set the ways of the kingdom. And they said to John, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? In the Greek, uh, was Messiah was translated Christ. And he said, no, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And that's our call as a church. It's not about us. This is not about a book. This is not about Greg Boyd. This is not about us as a church and what we can do and how we can do it. It's about Jesus. Because we're, we're, we're temporal. Jesus is the one who's going to restore the kingdom. He's the one who's he's bringing kingdom life into our midst. And as long as we keep pointing back to him, he will be glorified. He will be lifted up and the kingdom is coming into our midst. And John was setting that that example for us to say, he is the one who's worthy to be praised. He is the one who's setting the standard for the kingdom. They were waiting for this Messiah to restore glory and power and authority to bring back the glory days of David. They needed someone who was going to be the king. And they had their categories for understanding what this king would look like. And Jesus came onto the scene, and he, he was misunderstood because he did not fit into their categories. He was a misunderstood Messiah. If you were to be one of these Jewish people who lived in the first century, you and I are, would have probably misunderstood Jesus too. Because we, were, we would have been expecting something that Jesus would not fulfill. He reinterpreted what it meant to be the Messiah. He put his own spin. He did not let people dictate for him what it meant to be king in the first century. Nor can we today tell Jesus how to be king. I have no right to go and say, no, your kingdom doesn't look like this. In fact, many of his disciples did so. Peter specifically, you'll see this outlined in Mark very clearly. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And Jesus, Peter was like, no, you're not. No, you're not. He even pulled out a sword and cut off uh, the soldier's ear because he was trying to protect Jesus. Because there was an assumption there that when the Messiah came, he would drive out the oppressors with the sword, with power. And that was attached to their religion. They misunderstood Messiah. They were expecting a king on a throne, they got a king who washed feet. They were expecting a ruler who would declare laws. They got a ruler who demonstrated a new heart. They expected a leader who would divide people with differences and say, no, we've got to get back to purity. The Jews who are purely worshiping God and let's kick out the Samaritans and the Gentiles because they don't belong here. Instead, they got a leader who united people with differences. They expected a power broker who would make things happen even good things. They got a power broker who introduced a new kind of power that no one understood. They expected an influencer who could control others and make other people do what was right. Instead, they got an influencer who embraced people, even people who didn't do things rightly, like sinners and wine-bibbers, whatever a wine-bibber is, Never understood that as a kid. Why are we saying (laughs) wine-bibber? They expected a patriot who would hold up the flag of the Jewish nation and say, I'm going to fight for what was right. Instead, they got a patriot who suffered for what was right. Didn't make sense to them. They expected a redeemer who would restore glory. They got a redeemer To find glory on a cross. Jesus did not fit their categories. They did not understand what he was doing. He he didn't use language that they were expecting him to use. And he would not allow anyone to dictate to him how he would be king. uh, Greg is becoming more and more famous for saying this little phrase. The kingdom always looks like Jesus. If you want to know what the kingdom is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and see what he did and what, how he did it and what his character was and how he demonstrated love, sacrificial love that was beautiful and winsome, not forceful and usurious. Paul says in Philippians 2, he summarizes this in Philippians 2 for us, he says, in your relationships with one another have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." What Jesus did did not fit their categories. He was misunderstood. He was the misunderstood Messiah who's often still misunderstood today. We misunderstand what Jesus did. And in fact, it's been for 1,700 years since Constantine, governments have been known for misunderstanding the Messiah and trying to use religion and use Jesus for personal advancement Personal power and not just governments, businesses do this, and other things in public life do this, where we, 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 slap, we put Jesus on top of something we want done and we pray that it'll happen. I mean, we do this in sports. You have a pitcher in baseball. Actually, the, the twins are winning now. That's good. I'm, enjoy- I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I love baseball, and I came up here when I first, you know, they weren't winning at first. Now they are. This is a good thing. Uh, and you know, there's a one pitcher on one side who's praying, ninth inning. Two outs. The, the team, the, the defensive team's up by one run. Their star hitter on the opposite team is up there and he can hit a home run anytime. And he's praying, God, let me strike him out. And the, the hitter is in the batter's box and praying, God, let me hit a home run. Who does God listen to? I mean, I'm, it's kind of confusing. You know, they're both honest people. They're, they're both devoted, maybe even devoted Christians. And they're both trying to use God to get something. This is often what we do. We misunderstand the king. And to get the, the kingdom of God, we can understand this kingdom of God and we read about it in the New Testament and we're trying to understand, okay, what does the kingdom of God mean to us today? How do we get this kingdom of God into our lives right now? What, what is it shaped like? And we have important questions about that. What are the implications of this? What does it mean? Or it's one party of, 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 uh, in the Democratic Party, or is it the Republican Party? Is it this, or is it that? Do we do this, or do we do that? And we have important questions around that. And some people take different approaches to doing it. One pr- approach is the historical observation approach. And we, we have scholars who write all about what happened in the first century. And if you want to know what went on there, you can read all kinds of books. My shelves are full of them. Come borrow some books. Well, maybe not. Uh, you won't bring them back. Uh, <laughs> that's what always happens to my books. Uh, and I go looking for it, and it's not there. But... Uh, uh, they like, do all this historical research. And then there are others who take that historical research and try to translate it over into the 21st century. And they really work hard at doing this. And they make money to sell books. And they get tenure at the colleges and do all this stuff. But then they disagree with one another. And you get confused. And you've got to read more books to clear out the confusion. And you're saying, well, I mean, that translation method doesn't always work. Then there are other people who just say, the way to do the kingdom today is just to hunker down and work hard at it. Grant and bear it. And this is the way I kind of I, I grew up thinking about God and Jesus was you know Christianity's hard work. You know, to be a follower of Jesus today, you just gotta lower your brow, never smile, and say, "Oh, Jesus loves me." <laughs> you wouldn't believe it by the way I look, but man, it's a beautiful place. I don't look very beautiful right now, but man, I'm gonna work hard at this Jesus thing. And where am I? You know, I think it's a great thing to have the band on your arm. What would Jesus do? But just kind of like, it's, what would Jesus do is about working hard at it and, and, and getting it done and making making sure it happens correctly and, and doing the right thing. Then another approach is to say, okay, instead of doing those two things, we're going to say, let's just do our Jesus thing over here in the church and in my quiet time and all those kinds of things. But in the world, we just have to accept the worldly things and just operate according to what's given, you know, what's given to us. You know, in the business world, we just, well, that's what my boss told me to do. I mean, i got to do it. I mean, I want to keep my job. Or, you know, whatever's legal, we just do it. You know, because that's what the, the world says is legal. And so we do our Christianity thing in our private life and then, but in our public life and how we relate we allow the government and other things and businesses and other things to dictate how we structure our lives let me give you an absurd example of how this operated in history during World War II the German government I mean the, the German church the official German church endorsed the Nazi party this is an example of what happened in, during World War II is we're gonna do our private Christianity thing but you know Evidently, we need, you know this is the party that's here, and so this is what we've been given. So we're going to endorse that, and then others like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some others who resisted that got put in jail. Not and not, not just because the government was against it, but because the church was challenging what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was saying and others. So you know we we can work hard at trying to translate the kingdom into today. We can try to figure it out mentally. We can even just, or we can just abdicate to what the public life tells us to do and just give in to it. But I think there's another option. John said that Jesus would come and he would baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. He would baptize us. With Holy Spirit and fire. The Messiah would come and inaugurate. He would start. He would introduce the kingdom and baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. Many times what happens in church is the Holy Spirit and fire gets relegated to what happens here at the altar after a service. You come get your emotional fix and you go back home. And do your life the way you always do it. That is so foreign to what Jesus was saying about the kingdom. The kingdom will mess up your life. Just just understand that. The kingdom cannot be relegated to this room. It cannot be relegated to your private spiritual quiet time, or whatever you call it when you spend one-on-one time with God. It cannot be relegated to your small group. The kingdom infiltrates your entire life. And that is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit infiltrates our life and is seeking to just sneak into different parts of our lives. And just say, I want this part of your life. I want your attitude at work. I want this, I want that. I want your I want your your attitude here. I want this here. I want your action here. And it starts infiltrating those parts that don't seem very religious. And we go, Whoa, can Jesus go there? Yes, he can. That's the kingdom. Because the image here is we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. I don't know, if you you got to attend the baptism, if you didn't get to, I encourage you to come to the next one because it was just powerful to see people come up out of the water and just weeping because they're just so thankful for their forgiveness and so thankful for their life. You're dead. If you you feel a little dead inside with God, come to the next baptism. That'll just stir you up. But when you put somebody in the water, they're covered with water. You know, To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to swim in God. To be full of God inside and out. To be overwhelmed with God's presence. It just comes in within you and you say, Wow, God, this is cool. I got you and you've got me. And I don't have to figure it out. This isn't work. It's beautiful. It's winsome. It's lovely. It's all incredible. Thank you, God. That's the way he wants us to be in him. And around him. And when that happens, this is much bigger than whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican. Yes. This is much bigger than wh- what you do for a job or what, what you're doing in our, your public life and you, because it becomes all-encompassing. The kingdom of God becomes your life. and you're, it's, It becomes full of you and you become full of it. Let me give you a little parable of how this might manifest. Imagine you were to visit a church and you walk in the back door and, and uh, one of the back rows, uh, kind of two or three rows from the back because he's from a maybe you know kind of back row tradition, you see Rush Limbaugh. You think, well, this is interesting. I didn't know he came to church. Let's just go with me on this because just imagine he is. I don't know about his personal preferences there. And you think, wow, Rush Limbaugh's here. Interesting church. Wonder what kind of conversations he has with the pastor. And then two or three rows forward, as you kind of move forward, because you're more of a front row kind of person, you you look over and you see Ted Kennedy. And you think, wait a second. You look around. Rush Limbaugh, Ted Kennedy. Wow, your your jaw just drops. Like, how can this be? And you look around, they, they wave at one another. And they're like, they're friendly. And you talk to someone after the service and you say, you ask them, how can this be? And you say, guess what? They're going on a mission trip to Mexico next week together. (laughs) And even better, they're co-leading it. What? How can this be? This is weird. I mean, radical, liberal, ultra-conservative. They talk about one another in public. What is it, you know, their opinions and, and criticize one another's opinions. What is going on here? How can they be a part of the kingdom and when they so different there's disagreement in disagreement. That doesn't happen in our modern society. And it usually doesn't happen in the church. It didn't happen in the first century either, except with Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, ultra conservative, ultra conservative of the time. Simon, the zealot, one of the 12. Radical liberal. And Jesus said, I want to call both of you to live in unity and work on my team. Whoa, now come on. In our modern society, we have a two party system. And if, if you read a book like Greg Boyd's on the myth of a Christian nation, and he's kind of coming against the, 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 the religious right, which typically is, is Republican, that must mean he's Democrat. But if you read his introduction in the book, he says, I'm writing this book just because it is this time when the, the, the Republican Party has been attached to the church. And I would venture to say, if 10 years from now, 15 years from now, the, the Democratic Party is suddenly attached to the church, then maybe Greg Boyd should write a book about that. He might do so. In fact, he told me about a conference that... Uh, he was invited to, which is primarily being led by and spoke to the speakers at this conference are coming from a Democratic point of view. And he says, I, I, I don't want to necessarily go to that conference. I'm really concerned about being one of the speakers at this conference because I would then be tagged as a Democrat. And my my message isn't about being a Republican or being a Democrat. It's about something other than that. It's not about those categories but in our society where those are the only two categories we have that's what we do we say you're either this or you're that and then others might say well if you're neither that or this then you're apolitical or you're quietistic in other words you just kinda escape the public world and you kinda live inside your little bubble and some have actually interpreted Greg's message as being such and 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 some have even gone as far as saying that's what Greg says Jesus did and that is not what Jesus did nor is it what Greg is saying we are saying you know we need to be involved in the world we need to be engaged with the world but the way we are engaged is not established according to the categories that the world gives us we're going to be engaged according to the categories of the kingdom of God and the reason so many times that the church has been relegated to either doing nothing or The categories the world gives us is because we lack the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Spirit comes upon us, we suddenly have the power to do something that doesn't fit the world's categories. We have something that subversively comes under what is going on and comes up from underneath and it's all beautiful and new and fresh. Because there is no manual. I cannot give you five steps for doing the kingdom today. Because that we have the Holy Spirit instead of five steps, we have God within us recreating this. I was talking uh, a few years ago. There's a pastor that I had a a relationship with in Canada. That I was just asking him some questions about his church. He told this story about this small group who reached out to this single mom with uh, multiple kids and and who was down and out and depressed and all these things and this group just this small group or we call them covenant groups around here just embraced embraced this lady and invited the, her into her life and they became aunts and uncles to the kids and 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 really impacted her life and she committed her life to jesus turned her life around and, just, and then started her own business. And it was a seamstress business. And, and she developed this business and, and really became a, a successful in this. And she moved closer to the area where her small group, uh, small group members lived. And just the impact it had upon her life was huge. And then something happened that she realized, I want to take this back to the ladies that were, where I used to live. And she employed... Some of these other single moms in her business. And then she worked with Habitat for Humanity to get houses built for these ladies. That's Kingdom of God stuff. That's what takes this inner stuff, this stuff that's inside. We do church over here and it becomes public. That's powerful. That's creative. There is no manual for that kind of stuff, but it's mustard seed stuff. It's little stuff that we do today that has big impact tomorrow. That's creative. It's beautiful. It's winsome. It's lovely. And it doesn't fit the categories the world gives us. And as soon as you try to put the kingdom of God into the world's categories, you'll misunderstand it. You will misunderstand the kingdom of God if you try to put it into the two-party system or other systems that the world gives us if you're in other countries or whatever. This isn't about politics. Today, this is not about politics. I put the word politics in the, in the title to stir up interest. <laughs> this is about Jesus and his kingdom and how it's different. It's above and it's beyond our imagination of how it works Jesus was engaged in the real world. He was active in the real world. He was confronting the, the things, that the, the systems, the structures that the world had given him. And he was challenging them because he wanted to burn up the dependence upon them. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come and baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. When fire comes, it burns up our dependence upon these lesser things. It doesn't mean we, it burns up our opinions on political matters or our opinions upon corporate matters or business matters. It burns up our dependence upon them. Because it's not through the power of government that peace will ultimately come. Good things can come through government, but that is not going to be the ultimate source of peace. Political manipulation will not bring justice. It just won't. Good justice, just things can arise... But it doesn't mean that ultimate justice will come. Political parties will not demonstrate God's kind of love. They're different. And as soon as with any of these agendas that the world gives us, and we attach the kingdom of God to any of those agendas, as soon as we do that, we misunderstand the kingdom. We misunderstand the kingdom. Now, a lot of good things can come through various things that the world does and the governments and political parties and businesses and other things. But I just want to get, like, for instance, laws can be very good, but they can't necessarily change hearts. Let me give you an example of this. There are probably lots of different opinions in the room about affirmative action, whether you like it or not, but let's just imagine that you think affirmative action is a good thing. And a company Im- implements this and, but because it's a law and hires people of color. But affirmative action is not going to strip away our prejudice. That is kingdom of God stuff. That's Holy Spirit stuff. When God changes my heart to a person of color, then I don't need to have affirmative action because the law is in my heart. That's kingdom stuff. That's what the church is about. It isn't about just doing what is right and wrong within the laws and good laws or bad laws. It's above that. It's beyond that. It's about the law being written here. That's cool. That's what God is doing in this world. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And let me say, and there is no law that can make that stuff happen. Amen. That's what only the Spirit can do. And if you don't have that stuff, you need a fresh touch of the Spirit. Not a new law. As good as laws can be. That's what this is about. It's about the Spirit of God empowering us. To be the people of God and burning away all of, our, all of our dependence upon other things. Other things will still be there. In fact, after this service, you could come up and ask me my opinion on the war in the Middle East. Or my opinion on abortion. Or my opinion on the election. The elections that are coming up in November. In fact, if you were to have a time, come to a time where Greg and I were sitting across from one another. And observe our opinions upon this, we probably our opinions would be different. Is that okay? Is it okay okay to be in a place where we have different opinions and worship together? I surely hope so, because Jesus did it. He did it with two radically different opinions, a Rush Limbaugh and a a Ted Kennedy, and said, you're going to be a part of the same team, and I'm going to call you into a different kingdom. I hope we can. If you're looking for a church where all of the opinions of that church line up with you, well, go build a building just for you. It'll have one seat your seat we Greg and I would probably differ upon on our opinions about how these laws or how these policies should be enacted but we both agree and we both believe in, believe in peace in the Middle East we both pray for that we both pl- believe in life and, uh, and cherish the life of the unborn child but how we would approach that may be different and we both want the best candidates to be, uh, to be uh, elected in November. But our opinions on that and our points of view on that are probably different. And let me say this. That is a good thing. We don't want a bunch of mini-me's running around this church. Mini-Gregs. And that's what often happens in the churches. Go, I, I've got to agree with the pastor on everything. Yada, 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 yada. Well, what if we don't? Can we still worship together? Can we still be in unity together? Because we're committed to something higher, something bigger, something beyond. That is the kingdom. That is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is beyond our categories. It's above our categories. It doesn't do away with those categories. We still have the world. We still have to live in it. And we have our conscience. And we encourage you to vote your conscience. We encourage you to have your opinions. We're going to wrestle with this stuff. We're going to wrestle with the implications of what this stuff means. We don't have it all worked out. In fact, I think one of the greatest assets of Greg Boyd's book and his discussion and being on the radio and on the television and all the stuff he's going to be doing is not because he has all the answers. But he's causing us to ask different questions. That is either the key for moving forward. It isn't to be the one with all the answers. It's to stir up different questions. The Holy Spirit is coming upon us to ask better questions and burning away other questions that aren't as important. Let me give you a few examples of some different questions. Some that need to be burned away and instead replacing them with a different question. And I'll be closing with this. We need to burn up the question where can I connect with people who agree with me burn it up you're not gonna find them I, I don't want my wife agreeing with me on everything I do and say she's a person not a little Scott or better looking Scott this I mean it's absurd and that just bases on my insecurity I don't want a team of people on my team here at the church who all mimic what I say and do what I say and walk around. I want people who act as the body of Christ, who have different perspectives and see things differently where we can sit down and say, what is God saying in the midst of this? So a different question might be, what does it mean to live in unity when we disagree? Because the world doesn't give us that answer. We need to burn up this question. What is the church's opinion about a political issue? Instead, we need to say, ask the question, what is the Spirit saying about how we can meet a need? Because like that lady in Alaska that I told you about, she was a, a mustard seed who did something small that impacted people's lives and transformed people. Now, she still had her political opinions, and she might have, may have been involved in some political things and did some different things in committees in her local area or whatever. That isn't a, but that's different than the kingdom, She can act in kingdom ways within those circumstances, but don't attach the two together. Instead of what impact or what action can generate huge impact, we need to ask the question, what small thing can I do that would look like Jesus? Because if you look at Jesus' life, you would go, well, why did he become such a big deal? He did a lot of small stuff that people were attracted to. Because when you do that small stuff enough, you become beautiful. And beauty is attractive. And that which is attractive, people start asking questions about. And we're a people that want to be beautiful here at this place in Woodland Hills. Doing the small things. Another question that we need to burn up is what needs to be done to protect my rights? We need to burn that up and throw it out. Instead, we need to ask, what can I do to love others, even if it costs me time, money, and prestige? And on this note, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us with his love. I want you to stand. If you're here, everybody close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I need a touch from God like that. I need God to move in my life like that. I need a fresh touch. Maybe this is the first time you're thinking, I, I've tried to do this on my own, but I, I need God to do this. I want to be a part of this kingdom thing. Just raise your hand if you're you're here this morning. I want more of God. I need more of God. I'm kind of dry inside. God sees those hands. You don't have to come forward to be touched by God right now. The Holy Spirit is is moving across this place. He's going to be moving in your home this afternoon. Cry out to Him. This is about God and how He loves you and how He wants to transform the world through us. God, I ask you to fill the people who are crying out to you right now. Just cry out to God in your heart. And if you want to with your lips, just do that right now. Just just call out to him and say, God, fill me. Immerse me in you that I might swim in you and fill me with your love. Let me get a touch from you. God, do that. I need more of you. I want to be continually filled by you and baptized in you. Holy Spirit, God, we need you. This is about you. We love you and praise you and honor you. Touch people in their lives as they go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Be blessed in the name of Jesus and may his peace go before you and around you and surround your family and your life and live the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have prayer needs, please come forward. There'll be prayer teams here in the front.